Okay, everyone. This week, we are presenting one of our Encore episodes. This is one of your favorite episodes from 2018 of the Spark Joy podcast. We hope you enjoy it, and we're looking forward to seeing you at the top of next year. Happy holidays from Spark Joy podcast. I've noticed over the years that A, a lot of us have fears, and B, a lot of us think that we are the only people who are dealing with said fears, and C, that's absolutely wrong. And the magic that can happen when people have the courage to admit that they are scared about something or that they're bad at something, when they show vulnerability and they they voice that, what I see happen over and over is that other people in the room will slowly raise their hand and say, me too. I also have a complicated relationship with my mom. I also have stretch marks. I also have debt. I also haven't been on a date in five years. There's a sense of shame around a lot of those different issues. And the shame starts dissipating when you realize that there's other people who are going through the same thing. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the KonMari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified KonMari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. What's the thing that you would do if you said, why not, instead of I can't? Today's guest challenges us all to think beyond fear and embrace a life of yes. Saya Hillman started Mac and Cheese Productions in 2004 after she got fired from her last full-time job and had no idea what she wanted to do. Being fired turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to her. Mac and Cheese Productions is now a lifestyle business that provides creative solutions to common problems through its life of yes offerings. At its core is the belief that the segments which make up our lives shouldn't be sources of stress, but sources of joy and ease. Via Mac and Cheese, Saya is a wearer of many hats and thus needs 20 minutes to answer the question, so what do you do? One of these hats includes her knack for helping people live a more productive lifestyle, getting things done with positivity, self-efficacy, playfulness, and community. Welcome to Spark Joy, Saya. Thank you. And yeah, that's so true. I need probably more than 20 minutes. I need an hour to talk about what I do. But that's one of the things I love about what I do too, is I wear many hats and it's hard for me to say, what do you do? Yeah. And we'll chip away at that. We definitely want to touch on your backstory here. (laughs) Absolutely. We're so glad you're here, Saya. You are all about helping people move beyond fear, shake things up, and to get to a place where they are doing things that they really love. I know that your passion stems from your own life experiences and your personal transformation. Could you start by telling us a little bit about your own journey and how you got to a life of yes? Sure. So yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And I basically grew up in a, what I would term an abnormal childhood. Uh, You know, what does normal mean, right? But in my mind, when I was growing up, I was very abnormal in that I was raised by a single mom. I'm biracial. We didn't have a lot of money. I lived in a suburb of Chicago where I was surrounded by friends who not only had a house, but had two houses and a lake house. And I lived in an apartment. We didn't have a car. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have a microwave, a vacuum. We didn't go on vacations. I had a mom who, or I have a mom who is, let's just say, a character and marches to the beat of her own drum. And so all these things that now are kind of like cool and bohemian, you know, when you're 
12, the fact that your your mom doesn't shave her legs or never wears a dress or doesn't go to an office and she doesn't wear suits and doesn't have health insurance, all that stuff made me feel really weird and awkward. And, you know, even my name, you know, I thought if I could just be Jessica or Jennifer or have straight mm. hair, my life would be perfect, right? <laughs> um, and I've always struggled with weight. I have always been super tall. I'm six feet now and I'm not to tell you my weight, but um, I've always struggled with weight and I've always been tall. And so that was another way that I felt abnormal. And the way that I dealt with that was, oh, you know, I just want to uh, not stick out. I want to fit in. And the way that I thought I would do that would be if I am just invisible, basically, and if I just kind of be in the shadows and um, not really uh, share my opinion or my voice. And so basically I was a mute for my whole childhood. I had an amazing mother who sacrificed everything for me and I had a really good education and she was able to barter services to get me to go to a Montessori school that she couldn't afford. And I could give you all of these examples of how, what a wonderful mother she is and was, you know, when I say an abnormal, sad childhood, I don't want anybody to think that I was lacking for anything. I wasn't, but it was, it was just, it was, you know, being bullied, unfortunately. And then also me feeling like my mother was trying to ruin my life because mm. we didn't live in a house or have a car. So all that is to say is that um, I basically had no personality until I went to college and uh, had very low self-esteem, if any self-esteem. And then I got to college. I went to Boston College, which is a very white Irish Catholic place. And I am mm -hmm. not any of those things. So I really stuck out. But I learned in college that was kind of the watering of the personality that I started growing. And um, now I'm overflowing, I think. People always ask, have you always been this way? And no. But when I got to school and people started treating me as this like exotic bohemian who was so different, but in a cool way, I was like, oh, maybe the things that make me different aren't things to be ashamed of. And quite honestly, one of the reasons I was able to go to BC was through scholarships. And I played up all the things that made me different. You know, I got scholarships for being tall, for being black, for being Jewish, all of these things that, you know, I thought, again, were abnormal. College is really where I started to flourish and to embrace all the things that I used to be ashamed of. And then I saw the magic that happened when I did it for myself. And that's what kind of planted the seeds for wanting to do that in my adulthood, in my, in, in my career, to help other people to also feel good about themselves and realize that what makes you different are not things to be ashamed of, but to, to hold up to the light. This is so interesting. And how did you come up with the name Mac and Cheese Productions? I'm sure there's a great story behind that as well. What does it represent? When I got fired, as you alluded, as Kristen alluded to, I uh, had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I never wanted a boss ever again. <laughs> and I also knew that I wanted a name of a company that when you heard it, it was memorable. It made you feel good, universally loved. I've noticed over the years that as adults, we love nostalgia. We love hearing songs from our childhood, from college. We love thinking about clothes from that time and, you know, just all those memories of college and childhood, which were really um, positive times for a lot of us. And so when I got fired, I sat down and I made two lists. I made a list of what are all the things that I could do that I could possibly get paid to do, no matter how ridiculous they sound. And things like play board games, sit on my couch and flip flops and <laughs> jeans, have other people come to my home and me not have to leave. So all these things that, you know, you would look at this list of like, yes, I, I don't think you can get paid to do any of that, right? So I made that list. But then I also made a, when I think of these things, they make me feel warm and fuzzy inside and possibly they will make other people feel warm and fuzzy. So things on my list were uh, like Cabbage Patch Kids, overalls, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, uh, mac and cheese. 
And so I had that list. And then on the uh, other side of the page, I had when I first started mac and cheese, it was actually I was doing video. So I was like, I need a digital media or uh, productions, video, AV, that type. And then I was like, I'm going to smush those two columns together. And that will be the name of my business. So um, I yeah. went through these lists and I, was like, and I just started saying them out loud. You know, what sounds good? Peanut butter and jelly? Digital video, you know, all it's just kind of cabbage patch productions, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I happened on Mac and Cheese Productions, and that is how the name came about. And I cannot tell you how lucky I feel to have named my business the name that I did. People will forget my name, but I cannot tell you how many people come up. You're Mac and Cheese. Oh my God, I know you. I heard about funny. you. So it's definitely memorable and it definitely makes people feel good. Yeah, absolutely. I love Mac and Cheese. Good. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. I will never forget the name of your company. <laughs> and honestly, like if I come across somebody who doesn't like Mac and Cheese, I don't know if I want you to be I, in my world. Right? That's such a good point, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I have a positive association with mac and cheese, too. It's actually one of the only things I can make really, really well. (laughs) And so I have to make it in two weeks for a cookout. I'm going to. I just love it. It's comfortable, warm and fuzzy. And being here in Chicago and actually participating in some of your programs and being a Cheez-It, which is what you call your tribe, right? I was really drawn to the fact that you have such an approachable spirit and your events, you know, are just really attract people who want to kind of do things a little bit differently, shake things up, but maybe a little bit uncomfortable in traditional networking situations or large crowds or just like kind of overwhelming environments. So I would love to know more about what has inspired you to develop such a wide variety of social activities for those looking to kind of just think outside the box, but very carefully and in a safe way. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's funny, you know, Mac and cheese, I actually didn't think of this until right now. But when you were talking about my events being approachable, you know, that makes me feel good because I strive for that. And I feel like I want my business to reflect my personality. And I think that's another reason I was drawn to the name Mac and Cheese, because when you think Mac and Cheese, you don't think, you know, fine dining, right? It's comfort <laughs> food. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it can be cheap, you know, and I'm super frugal. And I want people to come to my events and be in an environment where you don't have to dress up. You don't have to be uncomfortable. I am not a heels and pantyhose person. I, you know, if I'm dressing up, I am wearing flip flops with sequins. Like that's what my dressing up is. (laughs) Um, And so I try to have events that reflect who I am because I feel like when you are yourself, that's when you're the most authentic and when you can most connect with other people when you're not having to wear a mask. And I just, got so tired of when I graduated from Boston and came back to Chicago, I got so tired of going to these events. I thought I was doing all of the things that you were supposed to do to meet people. So going to uh, networking events when I was single, going to singles events, and everybody kept saying, you know, you have to get out there if you want to meet people outside of work. And I kept doing that. And every time I went to these traditional events, I ended up hating humanity and wishing I had never left the house and stayed at home and just wore yoga pants and ate Ben uh, Ben and Jerry's. I was like, this can't be the rest of my adult life is either not going out at all or going out and wishing I hadn't gone out. So for selfish reasons, I started throwing events that I would actually want to go to. Again, that has that just comfortable be yourself vibe. And then I noticed that turns out a lot of people don't want to go to those traditional networking events where people are just you know throwing business cards in your faces and mm-hmm. or they're centered around drinking. I've never been a big bar person or 
it's not even necessarily about the drinking. It's just there's something about being in the atmosphere of a bar or a conference room. And that's one of the main reasons so many of my offerings are in my live workspace that has uh, really comfy rugs and couches and armchairs and a fireplace. And in the wintertime, I ask people to bring their own slippers because you can't be a bad person when you're in slippers. And actually, that's how I met my husband. As I met my husband at one of my own events, and we were both wearing slippers. And I love that, you know, and I was probably like sweating profusely and had frizzy hair and, you know, cleaning up spills and chopping cheese. And I love that someone found me attractive Mm -hmm. in that setting. So um, yeah, all the events that I do, I do feel reflect my personality. And I think that, you know, you mentioned fear as being a cornerstone to what I do. And I've noticed over the years that A, a lot of us have fears and B, a lot of us think that we are the only people who are dealing with said fears and C, that's absolutely wrong. And the magic that can happen when people have the courage to admit that they are scared about something or that they're bad at something, when they show vulnerability and they voice that, what I see happen over and over is that other people in the room will slowly raise their hand and say, me too. I also have a complicated relationship with my mom. I also have stretch marks. I also have debt. I also haven't been on a date in five years. There's a sense of shame around a lot of those different issues. And the shame starts dissipating when you realize that there's other people who are going through the same thing. So trying to create that warm, comfy environment that not only gets people to just be themselves, but also gets people to get out of that proverbial comfort zone. As adults, it can be really hard to find community and to make friends. And who wants to you know, be a 40-year-old saying, I don't have any friends, I need to make more friends, right? So I also try to create environments where it's okay to admit stuff like that and not only admit that, but I'm going to help you find that community you know, that you're looking for. Those are the things I think that drive me in all of my wide array of offerings. Yeah. I think the first event I ever went to was a mac and cheese idea potluck. Mm-hmm. And I was really just trying to meet people in Chicago because I think I just had arrived here from Virginia. So I was already starting to lean more towards the entrepreneur set way of doing things than the like typical like corporate environment, which is associated more with the like traditional way of networking. So I was like, yeah, this is more my vibe now. Uh, Yeah, it it was just a really cool experience. And everyone was super welcoming and comfortable and more open because it was more of a casual environment for sure. Yeah. And I've learned, I think that, um, again, even though all my offerings are so different, I think that one of the things I talk about in Living a Life of Yes is it's worked really well for me. And so I encourage other people to follow suit in being experience focused rather than results focused. So if you had come to Idea Potluck, or if you had gone to a normal networking event, oftentimes we put this pressure on ourselves of, oh, I have to talk to 10 new people. I have to pass out 20 business cards. I have to collect 20 business cards. It's going to be a waste of a night if I don't do X, Y, Z. And I try to say, you know, just come to whatever it is that I'm offering with the just maybe expectation of, I'm just going out to try something new and then leave the expectations at that. And then if you get anything on top of that, if you get a new friend, if you find a husband, a significant other, if you get a client out of it, that that's the cherry on top of the Sunday. I think we set ourselves up for disappointment when we're results focused as opposed to experience focused. That's so true. And it's a completely different energy that's projected depending on which side of the fence you're on for sure. And Really, it all boils down to fear. It's one of the things we both have in common is we help people do things that they really are challenged by or they absolutely hate to do. In your case, it's things like sales or self-promotion or public speaking. 
And in our case, it's definitely tidying up and staying organized and maintaining that. I would love for you to kind of talk a little bit about productivity, because I know that is the one thing that we both dip our toes in from different perspectives here and a topic that you absolutely love, but most people hate. Yeah, that's the type of topic like I will stay in on Friday night to learn the newest productivity app. And actually, my husband and I, our first conversation that we ever had was about spreadsheets. And we flirted <laughs> we flirted with each other <laughs> over the topic of spreadsheets. So yes, I am a productivity nerd. I am a proud productivity nerd. And I could talk about my favorite apps and tools ad nauseum. But I think it's so gratifying to be able to either do something for someone else with ease and joy, where you have ease and joy doing it, but they would have complete stress and pain doing it. So either you do it for them, or I also love helping them transform that thing, whatever the thing is that is causing them pain or stress, into something that is filled with ease and joy. As far as productivity goes, you know, you mentioned my, my tagline of life of yes. And what that means to me as far as productivity is concerned is I always think about how can I make life easier? Um, especially there are things in life that we have to do that maybe we don't want to do, but we have to because, you know, adulting, right? Paying the bills or going to the dentist, that type of thing. Those aren't fun things, but we can make them less painful. So one of the things for productivity well, I usually am, am a digital productivity nerd. One of the analog things uh, that I nerd out about and uh, philosophies that I try to follow is making your everyday life easier. So what I mean by that is I have actually drawn a life of yes map of where I live. I have a life of yes radius. Basically, what it's saying is for the service providers that I have to go to or want to go to, your doctor, your dentist, your mechanic, if you have to go get a root canal, even though you love your dentist out in the suburbs, do you want to spend a 45-minute drive out there to go get a root canal and then 45 minutes back? Probably not, right? Or for me, I, you know, I mentioned that I have always struggled with weight and like just physical activity is a thing that I need to work on. And I know like I used to live in a different neighborhood and I had an amazing yoga studio in that neighborhood. And when I moved to this new neighborhood, I went back and forth like, do I want to keep that old one? There's no way in the heart of Chicago winter that Saya is going to be going to that yoga studio that is, you know, only a 15 minute drive or 30 minute bus ride. But I need my studio, I need my gym to be in my life of yes radius and radius and it's different for everybody. But for me, that means all of those service providers need to be within about a 10 minute walk. And I ride my bike all the time. So like a five, seven minute bike ride. And I cannot tell you what a difference that has made. So that's a, a simple analog way to make yourself more productive. Another just kind of like overall philosophy that's been really helpful for me, if you do have any sources of stress or unhappiness in your life, to take stock of is it self-created or is it something that you actually are keeping in your life and you could get rid of it somehow? An example is I got a parking ticket. And it was completely my fault. But you know, you go through that like illogical source of that, that anger, like it was on a Tuesday. So now I hate Tuesdays. It was on Lincoln Avenue. So now I hate Lincoln <laughs> Avenue. I knew I didn't want to like go to court because it was completely my fault. But I was like, you know, I'm going to show the man, I'm going to show the city of Chicago. So I'm not going to pay until the last minute that I have to pay. <laughs> and so that stupid orange parking ticket would sit on my desk. And every single day I'd come down and every morning I'd get all riled up all over again for a month, as opposed to if I had just paid it 
right when I got it and then forgotten about it, then I wouldn't have had that repetitive source of stress for a month or whatever it was, right? So, you know, that's a silly little story. But if you really, again, taking stock of what are things in your life that you are doing to make it more stressful or to, to bring uh, unhappiness into your life. And uh, another example is I hate talking on the phone. And so on my uh, website, on my business, you will not find my, my phone number anywhere. You won't find it on my website. You won't find it on my business card. And I know initially when people first start seeing they're like, what? how can people reach you? <laughs> people can be reached without the phone, right? And I'm a big believer of like, you should set up your life mm-hmm. in the way that you want it to be lived. And, you know, if there is a client out there that for whatever reason is not going to work with me because they can't, I, I've never, I mean, I've never had, this is all a hypothetical. I've never known of someone who's like, well, I wasn't at work with you, but because your phone number wasn't available, now I'm not. So all I have to say is, again, making it easy for yourself. I know that if my week was packed with back-to-back phone calls, I, I would hate what I do for a living and I would never want to do, I would never want to go to work. For some people, it's, they hate emails and they, they would much rather talk on the phone, right? So, that, you know, my way is not the right way. The right way is whatever works for you. If you ladies know Gretchen Rubin of the, the Happiness Project, the author, talks about, do you want to push downhill or push uphill, right? And hopefully your answer would be, I want to push downhill. It's a lot easier to push something downhill. That goes back to just like taking stock of like, what in your life are you making harder for yourself? And can you make it easier? And Mark Twain has a great, great phrase, eat the frog. Basically, that's saying that if the the first thing that you do in the morning is to eat a live frog, that you can go through the rest of the day knowing that the worst is behind you because you started the day (laughs) eating a live frog. And so I try to keep that in mind too. Like, We're all going to have things that we have to do, like I said, that we don't want to do. And so many of us, the way that we deal with that is we keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And then again, you're inviting that source of stress. Every time you see that thing on your to-do list that you don't want to do, you're going to get angst. And, you know, as opposed to like, just do it. Like, it's not going to be fun to do it, whatever it is, but at least you can cross it off and not have to think about it again. So I encourage everybody to eat the frog. What it really sounds to me like is that the model of the work that you do is really based on not just solving someone's problems, but being empathetic about it. And it sounds like the people that are part of your community are really drawn together because they share common problems or challenges or things that they would like to be different about their approach to work or their relationships or whatever, which I think is so cool because I think a lot of times people that are consultants or coaches, they were all about uh, what's your problem and let me help you solve it. As opposed to what I hear you saying a lot, which is this is something that I struggle with. And these are some of the ways that I have approached it, which I think is really very refreshing. I have learned and actually I, I, I wish I could say that I am uber intelligent and strategic. And this is why this happened. It's not, this was a complete accident. But one of the things I do is I'm a professional speaker and my my first paid speaking gig, I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I decided to get up in front of the 300 people in the audience at the Museum of Contemporary Art here in Chicago. And I said something about my stretch marks. It had nothing, it was not, and I'm (laughs) someone who like, I had prepared that speech, you know, and that stretch marks, sharing about my stretch marks was not in my notes (laughs) that I had in front of me, but I don't know why I said it. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I just, first of all, you're like, oh no, put those words back in my mouth. But then I looked out over the audience and they were all these like empathetic heads, like especially women who were like nodding. And I just felt this rooting for me and I'm on Mm. your side. I understand what you're going through. And that completely calmed me down. And so that was my first lesson into or first peek into the magic that can happen 
when you are vulnerable. And you, again, you share something that is a source of pain, angst, stress, whatever it is, right? I'm not really excited that I have stretch marks or I don't really like going around sharing that. But such magic can happen when you do voice whatever it is that is causing you any type of negativity in your life. And then that there's a bonding that happens almost immediately, uh, whether it's because, oh, yes, I also have stretch marks. Oh, Saya gets me. Okay. She's up on that stage. She's the one with the microphone and in the spotlight. But she's just like me. And that's something that I really strive to do is to show people that, yes, maybe I am the one with the rockin' like Madonna headset mic up here. Uh, but we've all got stuff going on. And I think we have to remind ourselves, and especially this day of social media, where, that we're all sharing our highlight reels, right? I'm not sharing sure. my crap reel. I'm not sharing... I weigh this much, you know, I weigh this and I have stretch marks and I just got laid off and I haven't been on a date and, you know, my husband and I are fighting, all that kind of stuff. But all that stuff absolutely happens. We just don't share it. But it's really easy to feel like everybody else is winning at life and you are not. I'm really interested in getting your take on this particular topic. It has to do with productivity. It has to do with paper clutter. Paper clutter is something that we as KonMari consultants deal with all the time. We're working with our clients. In fact, SparkJoy Podcast, our listeners will remember, had an entire episode dedicated to paper clutter. It was episode 45. We'll make sure we link to it in the show notes. But one of the things that I have personally experienced is that the solution to the problem has created another problem. So, for example, we talk to our clients a lot, and I certainly have embraced this idea that everything should be digital if possible. So in digitizing everything, in some cases, we just create different kinds of clutter. For me, it's my photos. So I have way too many photos that are very unsorted and very untidy for someone who tries to be organized in all things. How would you suggest people approach this issue of moving from one type of clutter to another, especially when it comes to digital things? Yeah, it's so true that, you know, on paper, we're like, oh, technology and digitizing everything. That's <laughs> going to solve everything. But yeah, you're totally right. Now there's just new problems. But I'll, I'll address it. You just brought up photos. And one of the best decisions that my husband and I made was we love traveling and we love travel hacking, we, pretending that we're Oprah and traveling the world. Uh, staying at really expensive places, but not paying really expensive prices. And um, so we travel all the time and we would take all these photos and we would get home and, you know, we'd have these hundreds of photos and have the best intentions. Yeah, we're going to go through, we're going to edit and all that. And of course, it never happens. So when we are flying back from whatever trip on the plane, we go through all of our photos and that's when we delete and we, and then we get home and it's all done. I think we need to get away from the adding things to the to-do list because we all know what happens when I have more time, when it's a better time. I call the perfect time unicorn does not exist, right? That is the life of yes mascot, the perfect time unicorn is invisible and you're never going to have more time. It's never going to be a better time. So you just need to do the thing that you need to do and do it now. And so just as far as photos go, that is uh, as far as travel photos, anything, anytime you have an event or whatever, carve out time to, to edit them and then to organize them. Actually, a specific area that has been causing me a lot of stress uh, in the digital realm has been my seemingly never empty folder of to read later items. And every time <laughs> I see that folder, I feel bad about myself. And same thing with my Kindle. All of the books that are on my Kindle that I have not read, uh, I feel bad. So again, this is another one. This is an example of, do you have a source of stress that is self-created? I am creating it. There, nobody else is doing this to me, right? And right. so I decided I'm going to take this life of yes pledge where it comes to digital items that I can no longer download another book 
or download a free anything. We all we all get like so excited. Oh, a free PDF. Yes, I have to. Ha- I have to have it. Um, but then it just you put it in the folder and you don't do anything with it. So I can no longer download books or any downloads at all, whether it's free or not, until I have finished all the books on my Kindle and until I have emptied out that folder and actually read through all of those documents that I have in there. And um, I made this pledge to myself about a year ago, and it's been so freeing to see actual progress of, all right, another book gone, another PDF gone. And that's made me feel really good. So I think just the big picture lessons there would be, again, that perfect time unicorn does not exist. Stop moving it. We, I think we move stuff around a lot, right? Instead of dealing with it. And we, that's a, like a temporary Band-Aid fix. You know, if we have a deadline for ourselves and then we don't meet the deadline, oh, well, I'll move it to Friday. I'll move it to mm-hmm. next Monday. But then you just keep moving it, right? And then every time you see it, you feel bad about yourself. So you need to get to that place of, am I really never going to do this? And just take it off the list and then be done with it. Or you need to say, okay, I'm, I need to stop moving this around and I need to actually carve out three hours on Saturday and I'm going to tackle my inbox or whatever it is. One of the big problems that I saw as far as like making more work for myself, I consider myself very organized, but I do think you can be too organized. And example is uh, in Gmail, you know, you can have all these labels and you can label all your emails, multiple labels, right? And so I spent all of this time perfecting what I thought was, you know, the perfect label system. And I, you know, I probably have I don't know, 30 something labels, and I was just going nuts with it. And I found myself spending way too much time trying to figure out what labels go on what email. And so after much stress and sadness on my part, I just I realized that like, yes, I spent a lot of time creating this system, but it is not working for me and accepting that and realizing that. And then when if you get to that point, um, taking that next step of saying, I need to let it go, whatever system is not working for you. And now instead of having 30 labels, I have a personal label and a work label, and that's it. I'm a big Inbox Zero fan, and so I either mm. delete or you get a work label or a personal label. And there's no more of this trying to figure out, you know, how many labels this one email needs. It's really hard to let go of a system, especially if you put a lot of thought into it. And, so, and also, you know, sometimes you put money into these systems, right? That's sure. another. That's a whole nother level. But if it's not working for you, it's not working for you. And so you need to be able to, to let it go. I love that idea. Letting go of the system. Yes. Right? Releasing the labels. I, I'm a big fan of minimizing the labels. I do get a little specific when it comes to my business emails, but I do also have a to read folder. But for emails that come through from influencers that I've chosen intentionally to follow, mm-hmm. but realized if I don't read this until December and I just read it in like a batch fashion, I'll be okay. Like I'm not going to like be needing this information year round. So I've kind of compartmentalized it that way. But I love your strategy of just personal and business because it reminds me of just the simplified way that we treat KonMari papers, which is Mm -hmm. just three categories, action, which is basically your active inbox. And then also just for forever, emails you might have to keep forever, and then emails you might have to keep temporarily. But it's so interesting how in the digital space, that's so hard to translate. In the paper space, it makes a little more sense. But in the digital space, we just think, oh, we have all the space in the world right. Right? because we have cloud, right. this, that, and the other. We have leftover hard drives. We have email that allows you like thousands, hundreds of thousands of emails before it gets full. So it's just so interesting because we can fall into that trap of just letting ourselves 
build and build and build. Tanya, one of our SparkJoy listeners, sent us a question about digital clutter recently. She said, after decluttering paper all day, I sit down on my lovely tranquil desk, open my laptop, and there on the first of my six email accounts are 20,000 unread emails. I'm not bothering with the unread ones. I just make a point of unsubscribing from at least five every morning on my walk. Are there any other tips you have for like digging out of that email clutter? Yeah, let's do two tips. Like I said, I could give you a gazillion tips. Let's do two sure. email tips. <laughs> um, so, so inboxes, I think it's a, that's a huge source of stress for a lot of people. And I, I mean, honestly, I'm starting to break out in hives when I think of my friends who have like 30,000 unread right. emails. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. if I have seven emails in my inbox, I am getting like, oh my God, I'm stressed out. I have seven emails. So um, <laughs> if you have 30,000 unread emails, personally, I don't think it is worth trying to organize that. That's one of those scenarios where I will say going nuclear is the best solution, which what I mean by that is either just completely deleting everything and starting fresh, or everybody can get free email addresses like starting all over and just opening up a new email account. And then hopefully using better practices with this blank slate where you're not going to get to that point. And one of the best ways I have found for me to manage my inbox is having basically like a conversation account where I have like seven different emails that all filter to this one account. But that's where I have conversations as opposed to my everything else catch-all account, which is where I have, you know, my travel deals and all of my bank statements. And anytime I sign up for a newsletter, anytime I order anything from Amazon, you know, the email account that I give to, uh, to Eventbrite when I buy something, all of that stuff. If I had to deal with all of that noise on a regular basis, uh, I think I too would become one of those 30,000 unread email people. But because I'm so selective about what appears actually in both inboxes, I don't get that overwhelmed. It never gets to a point of like paralyzation. I think that's an issue for a lot of people is like, I'm completely paralyzed because I know I have a problem, but it's so overwhelming to me that I'm not going to do anything, which is, you know, that's obviously not good. So I used to sign up for every single newsletter with this email account, but then I was getting all these emails. And even though I want to read those newsletters, it just got to be too much. And then I, again, I would feel like I'm failing because I have 20 unread emails in this inbox that I want, but I just don't have time to read. And I would feel like a failure if I deleted it or let it sit there. I just, I couldn't win that game. So I was like, how can I, I still want to get that content, but I don't want it in my inbox. So that's when I just discovered I use uh, Feedly, which is, you know, so it's a website where you can subscribe to newsletters. And instead of them coming to your inbox, they go to this website. And when I am ready to read stuff, you would not send time sensitive things there. So if you want like travel deals, you don't want it going to Feedly. You want travel deals coming into your inbox because you want to see that right, you know, in the moment. But anything that is not time sensitive, but that I know I would like to read at some point when I have time, I send to Feedly. And you can, it's great. You can, you know, set up all these, you know, different folders and organize it in ways that uh, make sense to you. And I think, you know, in Feedly, I have probably like 200 different subscriptions, subscriptions and from, you know, health and wellness to entrepreneur, business, travel, all of that kind of thing. So that's a, another way that you still can get content and, you know, increase your knowledge base, but you don't have to have that all coming into your inbox, creating a source of stress for yourself. 
Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that one out. It sounds almost like you're creating your own magazine with others' content yes. that's not mm-hmm. super time sensitive. So you can just digest it at any time and you don't feel like it's constantly like in your face, like, read this, read this. Awesome. And I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about what your criteria is for keeping or what comes through your inbox. So do you practice unsubscribing? Has that helped in terms of like turning off the faucet or have you just been channeling things to Feedly? A combination. So anything I went, so I went completely paperless with my business about five years ago, which is a really scary thing to do, especially, you know, with like tax forms and stuff like that. And I, mm-hmm. I asked my keeper, it's probably really sick of me. I probably asked him 17 times. Are you sure I can throw this stuff out? You know, once I scanned it, are you sure? Are you mm-hmm. sure? Are you sure? Because I think it's been hammered into our heads. Like, you know, you have to keep paper documents for seven years or whatever in case you get audited or whatever. But after many assurances from experts out there, I was like, okay. So I went completely paperless. And uh, so I keep everything that is business related. I keep all of that. And I think the key there is not only do I keep it, but I organize it, right? Like I just actually Mm -hmm. had a scenario earlier this week where I had to find something from 2014 for the IRS And that could have been a hot mess if I am not organized, right? But I knew Mm -hmm. exactly where it was. Um, And so within 15 minutes, I was able to find this random document from 2014. And that just makes you feel really good. So I think that, you know, if you're going to go down the route of digitizing everything or digitizing a majority of things, that's great. But you also obviously need to take that organization really seriously. And it's worth it. While it can be painful in the moment and time consuming to sit down and create whatever organization system works for you, in the long run, it is so worth it. Um, and as far as other digital content, you know, yeah, Kristen, you kind of alluded to the, we do feel that like, oh, yeah, I can just save everything because you get so much space for free with Dropbox and Google Drive and all of that, right? The cloud that you feel like there's just an unlimited amount of space. But just like with your clothes closet, you, know, you go in your clothes closet and If you haven't worn anything in like the past six months or a year, maybe it's time for it to go. And I will do stuff. I'll do a a cleaning of the closet, the digital closet, so to speak, where I will look at my phone apps, look at the apps I have on my desktop, look at my dock, look at the bookmarks in my browser. And I actually have a recurring task in my uh, calendar every three months to do this. I just call the spring cleaning. And it's amazing. Like, you know, oh, yeah, I have not touched that app in over a year? Why is it still Mm -hmm. here? Or you know what, I use that app, but not that frequently that it needs to be on my dock, which is supposed to be for things that are you know, you use all the time. Sometimes we go bookmark crazy and just bookmark everything. And then it becomes completely disorganized and defeats the purpose because you can't find anything quickly. And that's what bookmarks are supposed to be about is right finding things quickly. So I think that doing this regular and whatever regular means to you regular spring cleaning of uh, your digital life it, it really does help give you a sense of, uh, yeah, just being efficient. I get, you know, I'm, I, I'm all things loving time management techniques and tools and philosophies and being efficient. I think that's one way to go about it. I, you know, I just think that if you feel overwhelmed in how much you are keeping to look at what is necessary and what is superfluous. And again, the whole like what is causing me stress, like, When people ask you to go get coffee, oh, I'd love to get coffee with you and I'd love to pick your brain and this whole like doing things for free versus, you know, getting paid for it or whatever. And so every time I came across an article, I would feel like I had to save it. And then I just realized like, this is just a never, I'm never going to win this game. There every single day, there's 10 million articles about this topic, right? 
And it is very easy. I could, instead of spending all this time saving all these articles and then uh, thinking that I'm going to go and read them, when I'm ready, my idea is I'm going to write something about it, whether it's a blog post, book, whatever it is. When I am ready to do that, I can just go and Google that topic and a gazillion articles as opposed to keeping all of that digital content. But I think I was lured by, oh, yeah, I just have all this space and I love Evernote and I can just send it straight to Evernote and keep it. But, you know, again, I was just spending all this time when I did not need to be doing that. So, yeah, I think it's just taking stock of are you spending a lot of time spinning your wheels, basically? And if you are, how can you stop doing that? I am also a huge fan of Inbox Zero. It's my goal every day. If there's anything that causes me anxiety, it's seeing too much stuff in my inbox. But I also like your approach to really kind of takes into account the reality of whether or not you're going to be able to get to things immediately. For me, I have any client correspondence, anything back and forth from a client goes into a particular folder pretty quickly. As soon as I've addressed whatever it is, if I need to respond or set something up or whatever it is. So I keep those, I guess, indefinitely because I never know if I may to refer back to the conversation I had with a client. When it comes to things like business expenses, because I, I try to get as many of my receipts and things via email, I put them in a folder knowing that I'm not just going to put them into my accounting system right away. But then every couple of weeks, it's my sit down on Sunday afternoon and pull all of those receipts out and put them into my accounting system. And then I can let those go. There's stuff in my inbox. It's usually something that I need to actually do right away. Right. There's a call that needs to be made. It's something I'm not sure about or something like that. And I really like this idea of, okay, so my goal is to not have anything in my inbox. What needs to happen for that to be a reality? And it's really a trap to get into this habit of what I call jockeying your email, mm-hmm. which means that you're constantly sitting on top of your email, trying to address everything as it comes in, which I think a lot of people try to do as an effort to be productive and to stay on top of their email when I think really what they're doing is creating more of of an issue. I really admire people who can look at their inbox a couple of times a day. I'm not anywhere close to that, (laughs) but, but it's definitely a goal. And you mentioned something, actually, both of you touched upon bulk work, which I think is another thing that's been really helpful for me to try to follow is that whether it's email, whether it's phone calls, whether it's, um, you mentioned sitting down with your uh, receipts, like every couple of weeks, like I think that is a great way to handle especially things that maybe you're not looking forward to. Would you you know, if you're not looking forward to something like I, I mentioned that I hate talking on the phone. So initially, I was like, Oh, okay, well, I will spread out these phone calls. And I'll take this phone call on Monday and this phone call. But then like for the whole week, I'm hating my life because I have phone <laughs> calls, as opposed to bulk work. No, Wednesdays from two to five, that's when I do phone mm-hmm. calls. And I, right. I'm i not looking forward to it. But it's a lot easier to just, all right, I know I have to just sit down and bear and get through it. And then it's over. And then I don't have to think about it until next Wednesday. And I try to do bulk work for um, almost everything, both in personal life and entrepreneurial life as well. And I have found that to be a lot easier to manage. And you know, when you talk about email, you know, yeah, that I think email is a great example of I think so many people are leaning towards the, I'm not going to check email until noon and three every day. And Mm -hmm. because there's all this research that shows distractions and interruptions are like the bane of our existence. And they're so counterproductive. And even though you say to yourself, I'm going to, oh, I'll just go check email. There's no just going to check email. (laughs) Like, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes later, you're still going down that rabbit hole. Or even if you do just go for five minutes, there's all this research that shows it takes you a good like 15, 20 minutes to transition back into whatever you were doing. So think of all that weight. If you're checking your email 30 times a day, 
think of all that wasted time there. I think turning off your notifications, like I don't have any notifications on my phone. I absolutely Mm -hmm. hate notifications. That's the one thing I did this year, I would say, in the digital space that has changed the game completely was just turning off the notifications, specifically the pop notifications coming to my phone Mm -hmm. and specifically pop notifications coming to my computer from my Outlook or Gmails. But I don't visually see the popping all the time. Like that just was really bothering me. And then more than anything, having multiple accounts, you know, Sparkjoy, For the Love of Tidy, Mm -hmm. Kristen Ivey, (laughs) on and on and on, you know, all these different social media faces uh, were popping up way too much on my phone, draining my battery, ruining my life. So (laughs) I just like turned them off and I still get notifications, of course, that things are happening, but I have to actively go into the app to see those things. They're not like forced in front of my face, basically, by being a push notification. So I definitely second that it has changed the game for me. I just feel so much like more in control now. And it's so simple, right? But Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what a difference it makes. (laughs) Yeah. So Saya, what is your favorite tidying tip? What worked really well for me is super specific and I don't encourage people to do this or I hope this doesn't happen to them, but I surprisingly uh, lost my lease after, I don't know, I think it was like eight or nine years and had like two months to move. And when my husband and I uh, moved, we decided to try to make this a horrible situation, a life of yes situation. How can we turn this into a positive? I mentioned I went paperless with my business years ago. I also decided to go paperless with my personal life during the move. I was like, I have all of these tubs of scrapbooks and photos that I've been carrying around with me for years every single time I move. And like, and with technology these days, you know, you can get really high quality scans of all this stuff. So it was super scary and emotional to take my baby photo albums and scan them and then throw them in the dumpster. Wow. Uh, but I did it and I have no, re- this is already two years ago. I have no regrets. Not only did I do that with, yeah, all my photo albums, I'm definitely a collector of sentimental items. So like all the cards that I've gotten, journals, all of that, I scanned it all. And so again, super time consuming in the moment and super emotional to do all that. But it was so freeing to let go of all these physical items. I definitely subscribe to the minimalist lifestyle. I'm much more interested in spending my resources, meaning my my time, my energy, my money on experiences rather than things. And since I have adopted that minimalist attitude, uh, I have just felt lighter in so many different ways. I mean, I had trophies from like basketball camp in third grade or whatever. It's like, and you obviously can't put a trophy through a scanner. But what I did is I took pictures of all the things that I couldn't scan. And then I, you know, again, took a lot of time to organize all of that. Yeah, it was really an eye opening, freeing and lightening experience. Well, that's a great tidying tip. We talk all the time about how moving is one of the best times to con And although it doesn't sound like yours was expected or maybe the most pleasant, it still sounds like you really accomplished a great goal. What at this very moment is sparking the most joy for you? So I mentioned earlier that I love travel, especially if I can fake Oprah travel, right? Uh, My husband and I are both turning 40 this year. So we decided to celebrate in maybe a little bit more of an exorbitant way than usual. So, uh, Sparking joy right now is we are planning our uh, trip to Japan, which just by itself, a trip to Japan, we've never been there. That's amazing. But what I'm so excited about is that we were able to travel hack it and we are fine first class. These tickets are normally $24,000. 
We are paying $250 each for our first class tickets to Japan. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we love, and I could give you a story upon story about all of our amazing travel hacks that are like that. You know, we went to, we went to Italy this past spring and we stayed at the Waldorf Astoria in Rome for three nights and we paid $35 total for our three nights. So I, again, this whole like pretending that I'm Oprah and living this lifestyle, I talk about living the Four Seasons lifestyle on a Motel 6 budget. So that's that's what I'm having sparks of joy right now about is uh, planning this trip and knowing that we're going to have this amazing trip for not a lot of money. So that's what I'm excited about. I love that. And I also would like to go to Japan. So we're going to have to have (laughs) you back to talk about that because I was planning to go for the Olympics and already I'm trying to think about how I could make that happen. So it's amazing that you're going on such a small budget. So I'll have to figure out what your secrets are. Yeah, hit me up for recommendations. I will gladly share. Cool. All right. So I'm excited about living a life of yes. And I would love for you to share any parting words of wisdom for our listeners before we wrap up. You know, I think when people hear life of yes, they might think, oh, that means you have to be happy all the time. And that means your life is perfect and you have no issues. That's not true. We all, again, we all have our icks. We all have sadness and, you know, losing loved ones and dealing with sickness and getting fired and all that stuff. Being realistic, a life of yes is one, I think, where... Yes, you are positive and happy, but you have also these not so great things happen. And if you are living a life of yes, it means not that you're living a life that has a void of icks, but that it's how you deal with the challenges and the bumps and the hurdles, right? Do you let them completely derail you and paralyze you? Or do you, are you able to eventually at some point, you know, get up and dust the, dust the dirt off and keep on moving and maybe even, like I said, transform them? into um, positive uh, aspects of your life. And then it's a lot easier to deal with those downtimes when you surround yourself with supportive, uplifting, positive people. And so if you have a lot of negative Nellies in your life or Debbie Downers, um, it can be really hard to let go of people who are like that, especially if they're family members or friends of yours. But I do think that we need to practice self-care and self-love. And a lot of us do not do that or do not do it well. And one of the ways that um, we don't do it is that we keep toxic people around us. And Positivity is really infectious, but also so is negativity, right? So what do you want to be infected with, positivity or negativity? Mm-hmm. So surround yourself with cheerleaders and people who support you. And then the last thing, I, a life of yes wisdom, I guess, is choosing movement over stasis. And I think that uh, so many people are scared about you know looking stupid or making a mistake so they don't do anything. And that, to me, is the wrong choice. I would so much rather move, whether that's forwards or backwards, backwards meaning, oh, I failed or I tried something, it didn't work out. I would so much rather that than getting you know, to the end of my life and being like, oh, what if? I wish I had. I don't want to have regret on my deathbed. I don't want to wonder what if. I want to know that I tried and well, maybe it didn't work out, but that's okay. I tried and hopefully it can turn into a learning experience. And one of the top three choices that I have made as an adult was to force myself to take an improv class. 
improv is the absolute best, worst, scary, most horrible, wonderful thing I think that adults can do. Because the uh, I think the skills that you learn in improv are so applicable to everyday life and things like being able to think on your feet, working with lots of different personality types, uh, saying yes, having your default be yes, as opposed to no, and why not, as opposed to I can't, um, and just letting go of judgment of yourself and of other people. The epitome of living a life of yes uh, is I went to an improv show once and I saw a girl in the show accidentally fall off the stage. And so for the rest of the show, her teammates would on purpose fall off the stage so that what she did didn't look like it was a mistake, but on purpose. And I just think that that's such a beautiful representation of what a life of yes is. It's absolute magic what can occur when you put yourself outside of that proverbial comfort zone and you try things that you think might be the worst thing ever. And then you realize, not only did I not die, but I kind of enjoyed it. And then you get infected. You're like, what else can I do? I did that thing that I was so scared of and it was fun. So what else can I do? And then your friends, your loved ones will also get infected because they'll say, oh, Kristen, she took this class that she was so scared to take and she liked it. And she's such a happy person now. And now she's doing all these other things because of that. And because Kristen's doing that, now I'm going to do it. So take improv, especially if you are listening to this saying, I would never take an improv class. That sounds horrible. I'm especially talking to you. Or me specifically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely haven't dabbled in improv yet, but I've witnessed you and your husband just going out there and being unapologetically who you are. And it's amazing and inspiring. And thank you so much for joining us here on Spark Joy and just sharing your message and infecting us with so much positive energy. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you tonight. Thanks for having me, ladies. Thank you, Sai. It was really great to have you on the show. Sai can be reached at macandcheeseproductions.com. She's on Instagram and Twitter at Saya Hellman. And she's on Facebook at Mac and Cheese Productions. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. You can find us at sparkjoypodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for a chance to be featured on next week's show. While you're there, sign up to join our SparkJoy podcast community and get notified when each episode airs. You can also join the SparkJoy podcast community on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at SparkJoyPodcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Conmari Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Conmari Media Incorporated or the Conmari Consultant Community.